today in Exodus 17, finishing up that chapter. We're going to be through verses 8 through 16. Last week in our message, which was titled A Memorial of Fear, we watched the people of God spiral into fear and panic as they found themselves without water in the desert of Rephidim. In response to their faithless reaction, Moses turned to the Lord for counsel and direction. We saw God supply life-giving water from a rock, which was a scriptural uh, picture of the provision that uh, the Lord gives through salvation to his people. This week, the challenges will continue, only this time they will appear in the form of a wicked pagan army with its sights set on the destruction of God's people. So let's see how the children of Israel, with Moses as their leader, will face this evil onslaught in our message, which today is titled, The Lord is My Banner. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for today. Thank you, God, for this opportunity you've given me to bring your word. And you know, Lord, that I've prayed this week and even this morning while Brandy was singing, Lord, just asking you, Father, that I might remove my, uh, my humanity uh, from this message, Lord, that I not share things that would not be your choice. Uh, Lord, that you please just speak through me. My deepest desire, Lord, is to be used of you as just a vessel for your truth. God, speak to us and give us what we need. Lord, help us to be changed and to be more like you at the end of this message. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Um, we're going to pick up in our story. Now, they were at Rephidim, right? And God's just provided that miraculous water through the picture of Jesus, which was the rock. And in verse number, verse number eight, it says this, And then came Amalek and fought with Israel and Rephidim. Okay? Amalek, you're going to see later on showing up in the Bible, they're going to show up as the Amalekites, okay? The Amalekites, which were going to be an ongoing, they're descendants of Esau, and they're going to be ongoing enemies of God for generations to come. And we get a little bit more information kind of on this attack, a little bit more how it took place, because it just basically says, and fought with them and fought Israel. Deuteronomy 25, 17 and 18 says this, Remember what Amalek did unto thee by the way when ye were come forth out of Egypt, how he met thee by the way and smote the hindmost of thee, even all that were feeble behind thee when thou wast faint and weary. So this was a sneak attack coming up on the weak the from behind, okay? So just as the Israelites have found this salvation, they've had their, their thirst quenched, now guess what? Here comes another enemy. This enemy we know has come to wage war against the Israelites, and this enemy we know is not going to fight fair, okay? So when the children of Israel, when they left Egypt... They were fighting an external enemy. They were fighting the slavers that were having control over them. Then they came out into the wilderness, and now what we're going to see is they're going to be dealing with more of an internal one. They're dealing with their own personal struggles as this internal area, this, this responsibility is shifted to them, and now they're going to be dealing with their lusts, their desires, their fears, and their doubts. So as we look at this Amalekite army, what we need to realize is the fact that they are an opponent in the wilderness, but they are also a picture spiritually of the flesh, okay? So historically, we get an idea of devotionally, or historically, we see who they are, but now devotionally, we're going to look at it a little bit deeper. Just as the Israelites, right, as they found provision, now when you and I find provision, we finally feel like we're, our relationship with God is starting to grow. And we feel like, man, your God's really meeting the need. What we need to be mindful of, uh, guess what? There's an attack on its way. Because what happens, that confidence that we gain is a dangerous place. We need to be very careful knowing the fact that we're under, going to be under attack. The New Testament teaches in word about the fight against the flesh, okay? Now, when we find things in the New Testament teaching in word, we're always going to find a picture of it in deed or in action. There's a historical account in the scriptures that's going to give us a picture of that same lesson. So we get it in word and we get it in image front, back, Old and New Testament. So in this account, Amalek is a picture of the flesh. So what we're going to do is we look at this story, we're going to replace Amalek with the flesh. When you look at it, I want you to try to place your flesh, your struggle against your desires and wants and your lusts into the place of Amalek. So let me assure you, when we surrender our lives to the use of God, 
I guarantee you there's an enemy that's going to attack you. Every time you make an effort to surrender, and the more you start to surrender, the bigger the fight is going to be, the more of a target you get on your back. Because you got to realize, when we are doing things for God, we are a threat to the kingdom of evil, right? When you are inert as a Christian, you're not doing anything, you're not reading, you're not studying, you're not talking, you're just floating, you're just coasting. Well, you're not much of a threat. And you'll have people that go, look, they don't have to deal with many struggles because guess what? They're not doing anything for the Lord. But I'm telling you, if you become a teacher, you go, look, I'm going to lead my family in the way of the Lord. Guess what? You're going to come under an assault. Every single one of us, when we try to take a step in the right direction, we're going to get hit. There's not a one of us here that can't. If you really try to do things for God, they can't tell you this. That old adage, remember the one? Take one step forward, two steps back, right? Man, I'm, man, I'm going forward for God. Hey, man, I'm God's on fire. Whoa. And then all of a sudden something happens and something happens. Next thing you know, you're like, man, you know what? I don't even know if I want to go to church today, man. I just don't, it just ain't in me. I just don't feel like it. I think I'll just stay at home. I'll read the Bible on my own. Well, that is a good show on discovery. Next thing you know, you didn't read your Bible. Next thing you know, you get divided and separated from God. Next thing you know, you're no longer a threat. And he makes you inert. So what happens is you and I, we're in this fight every day, right? And it's not a coincidence that these fights come when they do. They have a very specific purpose right? They're targeted at us individually because each one of us has a different weakness, right? Yours might be anger. It might be doubt. It might be fear. Whatever it is, that's where you're going to get hit. And when you get hit, they're specifically aimed at derailing your walk with God. Because when you were walking with the Lord, you are dangerous. When you're not walking with God, you're not dangerous. And a lot of us spend a lot of our time being of no threat, <laughs> unfortunately. But God intends for us to be a threat. He wants us to be. So understanding this truth, right, we understand what's going on on a historical level and on a spiritual level. We kind of an idea of what the fight is. Now how do we fight it? And that's where we're going to get into here, okay? It says in, uh, actually, no, what I'm going to do is I'm going to touch on the, on the warnings first. So we understand the warnings. So if we understand it's a spiritual aspect, that we understand the physical aspect of it. Spiritually speaking, there are warnings in the Bible. Check this out in 1 Peter 5, 8. It says, be sober, be vigilant for your adversary, the devil, your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. This is written to the Christian. This is not written to the lost person. This is written to the person who is born again, who is trying to live for the Lord. He's trying to derail them, right? This gives us clear, this warning shows us that God understands the weakness that we have. He knows our propensity to fall into our flesh, to fall into our doubts, and to fall into our fears. This is a fight that is a daily fight, and as long as we are living in our flesh, we're going to struggle. We're going to struggle. It's when we learn to lean on God where we'll start to get a little bit more strength. Romans 8, verses 5 through 8 says this. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, and to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So fleshly living will always lead to destruction on some level. And ultimately, it will lead to death. It always does. And righteous living which is having a relationship that's in peace with God, guess what that does? It allows us to have that abundant life that God talks about. In John 10, 10, that abundant life that God has for us, when we live for him and we surrender our lives to him, we start to experience that abundant life. So what it's telling us is, say, look, those that live in the flesh can't experience it. So we struggle here day to day to submit. Which one are you going to submit to? Am I going to submit to my flesh? Or am I going to submit to God? Verse 7 says this in Romans. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. 
Those that function in their flesh are enemies of God. James 4.4 clearly says it. To be friend of the world is to be an enemy of God. We just sang a song that says, I am the friend of God. Your life will indicate if you are a friend of God. Do you live for the world or do you live for Him? If you live for Him, the things of the world shouldn't impact you like they used to. You should not deal with the same struggles that you would on, another, on a regular basis. The closer we walk with God and the more of a friend He is, the less these things affect us. Because verse 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is subject for the law, neither indeed can be. Right? Verse 8, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. If you and I desire to do something substantial for the Lord in this life, you cannot live in your flesh. We cannot live in our flesh. Yet every day we wake up in the morning and we face our flesh immediately. How many of you have a snooze button or have a function that delays you getting out of bed? <laughs> there are, and sometimes we struggle with the fact that my flesh goes, I just want to stay in bed. Well, I know I need to get up. But our flesh many times goes, just five more minutes, right? Just five. How many of ever hit that more than like three or four times? Dude, I'm telling you, well, I, I, there have been times in my life I could just eventually just go, where's the off? I'm not even going to worry about it. I'm done with this. Um, so bottom line is what we have is we have to look at this. What are we going to surrender to, right? Are we going to surrender to myself, and I'm going to focus upon the getting glory for myself in this life, or am I going to focus on surrendering to God and giving glory to God, right? And that's what this is. That's the struggle, right? Every day when you live with the flesh, when I surrender to the flesh, I'm bringing glory to me. When I surrender God, I'm bringing glory to God. So that's that daily fight that we're dealing with. Now, if we're thinking about the long-term result, we go, man, I want to give glory to God, absolutely. But we've got to bring it back to the short-term, those individual decisions that we make, those little steps to get us to the glory of God. And we've got to deal with those on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. Because every moment, guess what? Your flesh is rearing up. Your flesh reacts just like this, right? So the question for humanity, this struggle has been going on from the very, very beginning. Our most dangerous enemy is within us. So now, identifying that historical spiritual battle, let's look at how we fight it here in our verse number 9. It says, And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men, and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. Now notice this. He goes to Joshua to lead the fight. And what's really cool about that is the Hebrew name Joshua, when translated, is Jesus. So Jesus is to lead the fight against the Amalekites, right? He's to gather the people. They're to follow Joshua, Jesus, into the battle while Moses goes and prays on the hill. See? There's a picture here. It's a picture here. Joshua, in fact, that name Jesus is really cool. There's an instance actually in the book of Acts in 745 where Stephen, Stephen, right before he's going to get killed, right, he's in Jerusalem and he's pouring his heart out to the people there. He's crying out to these Jewish leaders. And what he's doing is he's actually recounting the story of Moses going into, or them going into the wilderness and then going into the promised land. And look at what it says here. Which also our fathers, this is talking about, he's talking about our ancestors, Old Testament, this is talking about, this is uh, talking about Moses, that came after, brought in with Jesus into the possession of the Gentiles. That's talking about going into the promised land. Jesus didn't walk in the promised land with him, Joshua did. Whom God drave out before the face of our fathers unto the days of David. So it's so synonymous that it actually switches it in that instance where it should say Joshua, they put Jesus in the scripture. Joshua is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, prior to this, every altercation that they've handled and dealt with, guess what? God has fought for them, hasn't he? 
every situation, God's shown up, God's shown up, God, everything they've dealt with, God's handled himself. Now, he says, you guys are going to head into the battle, right? And this is like when we're parents. I mean, I remember when my kids were little. And, you know, when you, when you, normally kids are little as they're growing up. There'll be an instance where they'll be outside and there'll be an altercation between kids. And the next thing you know, door opens, the door slams. <laughs> What's wrong? <laughs> Daddy, come outside and talk to him for me, right? All right, let's go out there. And you got to go out and handle this little issue, right? You got to go do some little bartering between the kids and try to get them all. Oh, are we friends now? Okay, y'all go play, right? But there was a point in time when our kids reach a point where we look out the window and we see them dealing with it. And we're like, man, look at that. And then next thing you know, they hold hands and walk off, and you're like, hey, I see some growth there. I didn't have to step in and handle it. They handled it themselves. That's what's happening here. God's transferring a little bit of responsibility on them. He's going, hey, you know what? I'm still going to have Joshua lead you. I'm still going to have Moses up on the hill. But now you guys are going to be in the fight yourselves, an opportunity for you to grow. They would have been scared. There's no doubt about it. They've not done this before. They've not been in a battle. They're going to be scared, but their confidence is going to come from the fact that Joshua was willing to lead them and the fact that Moses is on the hill. And that's a picture for us, guys. When we go into our fights, we've got to remember, if Jesus is leading us into the fight, and I know I'm keeping my eyes on him, he's the one leading the fight. I'm not leading the fight. And I know that God the Father is praying for me, and God, God's, God the Father is looking over me, and I'm walking by faith into this fight. I'm not going in alone. I'm going in with the support of God. And as we deal with our flesh, if you deal with it with the support of God, knowing that the Lord's leading you as you go against it, guess what? You can see a victory. Most of us don't do that. Most of us, when we see this picture and we imagine ourselves, you know, we have a choice. We can do it our way. We can rush in haphazardly into the fight against our flesh in our emotions in the moment and then have nothing but regrets after the way it didn't go well, as we'd hoped that it would. Or we could take a step back. I say, you know what, Lord, you know what I'm getting ready to go into. You know the altercation I'm going to have, this confrontation I'm going to have at work, this conversation I'm going to have, this family member that I'm going to have to deal with. And Lord, as I walk into this fight, which my flesh is going to want to fight in its entirety, help me, Lord, to step behind you. Help you represent me. Help you lead the fight as we go in. And God the Father, I love you, and I want to be a representation of you as I walk into this. Help me to let you shine and me disappear. That's the trick when we walk into these fights. But unfortunately, most of us don't. We don't. We struggle. Each battle we face and every time we go into this are opportunities for God to lead us. Can we, are we going to allow God to lead us with his strength, with his knowledge, with his experience? Or do we fall back on our experiences and our knowledge? We will not succeed. It is an imminent failure every time we do it ourselves. Our strength is not the solution. God's strength is the solution. When are we going to do it God's way? Look at this in promises in, in Romans 8, verses 35 through 39. It says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. That's referencing back to Psalm 44, 22. It's an exact copy of that. And he says, are we to be killed? Verse 37, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We cannot lose. 
we cannot lose. There is nothing that can separate us. And we can walk with God closely, but the good news is if you have a relationship with him through, through your salvation, that is an eternal thing. It's never going to be changed. You cannot lose it. God died for your sins, every sin. If you had a sin debt and they wrote down everything you've ever done wrong, guess what? When it's recorded, it's already recorded the entire thing. So when we look at the record of your life, and you live to be 80 years old, today the 80 years old has been recorded. God has seen it. So when Jesus went on the cross thousands of years ago, and when he paid that price on the sin, he paid for all of it from the beginning of your life to the end of your life. There aren't things coming up tomorrow that God does not know about. He already knows. So your salvation is an eternal thing. And God's saying there's nothing that can separate you. I don't care what happens. You're guaranteed that relationship and that eternity. Amen. How awesome is that? God is so good to us, man. Think about it. There's nothing that can separate us. And what, so, but, so what do we worry about? Why do we allow fear to have such a hold on us? When ultimately, I walk with the king. Amen. We walk in victory. But most of us walk around with our heads down in defeat. The one outside of these doors, the one that's trying to destroy us, is a liar. He's got false doctrine in the world that teach people that can lose their salvation, which is straight out of hell. Because there's no biblical foundation for it unless you don't know how to read the Word of God. There's doctrinal twisting all over the place. Paul warns about the fact that he says the spirit of Antichrist is on the world. He said it's here now. In the first century, the spirit of Antichrist is here. He's alive and well. So imagine thousands of years later, he is so well entrenched in our society. And there's lies everywhere. And people live with no doctrinal foundation. They don't know how to walk for God because they don't have any faith or confidence in him. Yet he's proven in his word and he never, ever, ever will let us down. He's given us these promises to stand upon. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says this, For we, have, says, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Meaning that when you leave this world, you are in heaven that fast. If you can blink your eyes that fast, that's how long it takes. You're gone, man. You're absent from this world. You are present with him. Imagine closing your eyes in the disappointment of this place and opening them, looking into the loving eyes of your Savior and the perfection of heaven all around you. Gloria just experienced that, right? Miss Pearl's friend just a couple days ago took her final breath. But you know what? She closed her eyes on this earth in pain, suffering with cancer, and, and it's such misery. And closed those eyes here and opened them. And I can guarantee you, man, that grin. Whew, her ears probably went up, <laughs> up here, I don't know. But that's beautiful thing about the fact that our relationship with God. He gives us these promises and he is faithful to fulfill them. John 5, 24 says this, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Our existence on earth, guess what? We think it's life. This is actually death. The Bible talks about back in Genesis, we talk about that death came into the light. Death came into the world. Death. Right? So our life here is actual death. When we get saved, it becomes a spiritual life. A spiritual life. Romans 5.12 says this, Wherefore by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So that's the bad news. Here's the good news. Verse 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which have received abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. 
Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, whoo, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's obedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Amen. Amen. Obedience of Christ, the obedience to pay that price, our ability, obedience to receive that. Praise the Lord, man. God says, look, you're my children. So as you go into the fight, not only are you not going into it alone, you've already got the victory. Verse 10, so Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek and Moses and Aaron and her, and Moses and Aaron. Moses, Aaron, and Hur, that was hard, went up to the top of the hill. Now, Hur is believed to be actually uh, Miriam's husband, which would have been his brother-in-law, okay? It says here, uh, you know, out of obedience, Joshua does his part, right? So uh, Joshua does his part, the people do their part, and Moses does his part. Nothing unifies people like an adversary. I mean, has anybody ever played team sports before? Yeah? I remember playing team sports and you're in the locker room, and everybody's like, and there's bickering and all this stuff, and guys pushing each other around. Just, you know, there's no unity in there. Guys talking smack to everybody. Boy, you walk out on the field, you're facing a rival, your school rival. Dude, I'm telling you what, shook, they unify, man, and they face the enemy. All that stuff is gone. They forget all about it. So guess what? We're seeing a unified body coming together to face this adversity. Now, there are two components to the battle, right? There's a physical component, which we see where Joshua's taking place, and there's also a spiritual component, okay? Now, let's pay attention to this. Joshua's in the sword, or in the fight with a sword in his hand, right? And then we've got Moses, who's in the fight with a rod of God in his hand, the sword being a picture of the Word of God, the rod being a picture of prayer. Biblically speaking, the word or the, the, the sword is this. Ephesians 6, 17 says this, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Okay? So then we look at that, that verse telling us what it is, the Word of God. Then look at this in Hebrews 4.12. Look at this. Look at what the enemy... Now I want you to pay attention. It's going to talk about a two-edged sword, fast, sharpening a two-edged sword. But I want you to pay attention to the enemy that it's facing, okay? The Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing sunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So this incredible sword is for external enemies as well as internal enemies, right? So the sword can be used on both. So as we face our adversary who wants to destroy us, we have to keep in mind both. And it came to pass, verse number 11, when Moses held up his hand, that Israel prevailed, and when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. Hands in the air is a symbol of prayer, okay? So what we see here is the spiritual component of the warfare is more important than the physical, they're out there fighting, man. Joshua's not let up. He's got a sword in his hand, and he's battling it out. The children of Israel are battling it out. But when Moses can't do his part, when the spiritual side's not there, they start to fail. So we look at that aspect, and we, unfortunately, because of our arrogance and our sense of self-importance, many of us, when it comes to serving God, we do it in our flesh. We just do it, right? And what happens is it affects us. It's detrimental to us. There's not one. If, if you're here today and you've ever tried to serve God, what happens is over a period of time, we'll find ourselves not doing it wholeheartedly, maybe, or just doing it because we know we're supposed to do it. And what you find is that not only is it detrimental to our walk, but it makes the effort that we put in not fruitful. We want to see God do something great, but yet we're not doing it in God's power. We're doing it in our own strength. See, it's one thing to come to church and you go, look, you know what? Hey, I'm supposed to teach today. There's one thing to come and teach, and there's another thing to come 
to teach, right? What's your heart? Are you coming here thinking, you know what? There's lives on the line. There's futures on the line. I'm going to pour the heart out, my heart out to God. I want him to use me as a vessel for your glory. Every week when I come to, to preach, that's my heart. God, I don't want to do it in my strength or what I want to say. I want you to do it. Because it's got to be hard, man. We don't come to just to do it, man. We come because we care to give God the glory through our lives. And if God gives you an opportunity to stand up and talk to him, I don't care if it's talking to your child, man. Do it with all your heart for the glory of God. If it's talking to someone at work, wherever it is, don't do it out of just necessity or do it in the flesh because, you know, going through the motions is such a destructive thing to our walk with God. It turns us into a hypocrite. And hypocrites hurt so many people. The reason I wasn't raised in church is because my mom saw hypocrites as a child. And she made a purpose of making sure that we would not be in church. We stumbled across God when I was 34 years old because he cared enough to come after us. Hypocrisy is dangerous. Dangerous. Colossians 3.23 says this, And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Let's do it for God, not for, a, not for any other reason. Verse 12, But Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat there on Aaron and her stayed up his hands, and one on the one side and the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. The Bible warns us in Galatians 6.9, it says this, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. It's talking about our spiritual attitude, and surely we shall not faint. We must not faint when it comes to our spiritual focus. We've got to be focused upon God and understanding the fact that we want to serve Him. But you know what? In your flesh, guess what? There's going to be days when it's going to be hard. Emotionally, physically, you may reach a point and tell you, you know what? Look, I'm, I'm struggling to go on here. I want to do right, but I just, I'm having a hard time. You know, what did Jesus say? He said, the Spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. And see, when I think about that very phrase right there, you know what it makes me think of? It makes me think of Joe's mom. If you ever spend any time around Joe's mom, Joe's mom's desire of her heart is to serve God. I have no doubt about it, man. It's bubbling out of her. It spills out of her, every word she says. But her body right now, she's struggling. I sat in her house and watched her sit in that wheelchair and just could not get any comfort, just so uncomfortable and so much pain. And she's telling me all these things she wants to do for God. She's like, we got this, but I want to do this. And we got this, but I want to do this. And I want to do this, and I see visions of this, and God could do this. Sometimes the spirit is willing, but the flesh, the flesh is weak, right? And there are going to come times when, you know what, you're going to be struggling. And guess what we're going to need? We're going to need our own Aaron and her that come alongside and help us. Galatians 6.2 says, 6, says this, Bear ye one of those burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Right? Let's define the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? Let's go to the source. What does he say in Mark 12, 30 for 31? He says this, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. He says, You know what my law is? Love. You love. Love me and love them. Love the people around you. So guess what? When we bear the burdens of our brothers and sisters, we're showing the love of God to them. That's our role as brothers and sisters, man. That's what we're here for. This is a physical, right? It can be physical. 
but it can also be spiritual or emotional. There are people that are dealing with emotional issues right now. They're broken. They're hurting, right? Sometimes you may not know what to say, but all you can do is just be there to listen. Bear their burden. Care for what they're going through. It's a responsibility that God's given to us. Because you know what? God created an entity to fulfill this very thing in his infinite wisdom. And it's called the church. It's the church. Not only is it a place to come learn and to be trained, but it's a place to give you a family where you can go out and serve together, but also face the challenges of the world together. There's a unity there, and there's a strength in numbers working together. Hebrews 10, 24 says this, 25. It says this, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more and you see, as you see the day approaching. The day approaching. That's talking about the return of the Lord, right? So as we look at this, true New Testament churches are more important now than they've ever been. The problem is there are not many of them left in our country. There are plenty of places that can be called church. Yes, they can take the label church, but are they fulfilling their biblical responsibility to do what God's called them to do? And I would tell you they're not. This may be a little church, but you know, we're going to make a big difference in the world because we're going to be a true Amen. New Testament church. Amen. See, the problem is not the fact that not only just people not know God, but the people that do know God don't know the Bible. They don't know how to use it. They have no idea. It's an instrument in their hand, and they're poking themselves in the head with it. They don't have a clue. It's like giving somebody a knife and going, here, this is how you cut. And they're going, and they take it and let the, allow the doctrine to be twisted, and all of a sudden it becomes something that hurts them. As opposed to something that's pure and beautiful and, and amazing. But if you're not someplace that's going to teach you doctrinally how to understand it, you're not going to understand it unless you take the time to learn. And what happens if you go to someone who gives you false doctrine and they just encourage you, right? Oh, yeah, man, hey. You come in one way, but you leave the exact same way. Or you're encouraged or you're entertained. We're not doing our job. And that's the problem. Churches have become distorted into something they should not be. This is supposed to be a place that helps you to become the best Christian you can become. Not for your sake, but for God's sake, right? I don't want to make you great so that you're awesome and you go, man, look how good I'm doing. No, we should be submitted before God going, you know what? I'm worthless and I don't deserve anything you've given me, but I'm thankful. And I come today as a, as a vessel that says, you know what? I don't need to understand everything. I don't have to have all the answers, but God, I'm willing for you to use my life. That's what he's looking for. Not talent, not skill, not ability, just a willing heart, a vessel fit for the master's use. Amen. You see, when the church does its job, the people surrender to God's will. And guess what? When they do that, they become an armored, shielded, trained group of Bible ninjas, man, <laughs> who take the, the sword of the spirit in their hand and they face the battle, right? They go in to fight. They don't do it on their own. They do it because they're knowledgeable in the word of God and because they're following the Lord and he's taking them into the fight because they're walking with God. They've got a relationship with him. In verse 13, it says, And Joshua discomfited Amalek. Discomfited means defeated. Defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. God brings the victory, man. God brings the victory. Through the people submitting to God, being willing to follow Joshua, a picture of Jesus, and with Moses praying diligently, their enemy fell. If you and I will employ this exact same battle plan, guess what? The results will be the same. Exactly the same. Verse 14, and the Lord said unto Moses, write this for a memorial in a book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. Why is it important for Joshua? Because Joshua is going to be the future leader 
of those people. For I will utterly put out of the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Now we're going to know that actually they're not going to be wiped out here. Saul's going to be given that responsibility. And guess what? He's going to drop the ball. They're not going to be wiped out. We're going to go all the way a thousand years in the future. And guess what? In the book of Esther, there's a guy they call Wicked Haman. And guess who Haman is a descendant of? The Amalekites. The very same issue. So we know generationally they're going to be a problem from here on out. But prophetically, look, look at this. There is coming a day through God is saying, I believe this is how God would say, this is if God were saying it, this, there is coming a day through my son, Joshua, Jesus, that I will eliminate the war with the flesh. There is coming a day when the adversary of my people will be vanquished. There is coming a day when this world will finally experience peace. Verse 15, and Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nisi. Translated means the Lord is my banner. For he said, because the Lord hath sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. This war with our flesh is an ongoing battle. We deal with it right now. You're dealing with it with distractions as we speak. Every time I stand up to preach, I deal with it as well. Doubts, fears, all those things, we all deal with them, right? I'm doing my best not to mess up. I just want to go, God, just use me. But you know what? I'm worried the whole time. God, I don't want to mess it up. I don't want to mess it up. I don't want to mess it up. If we just surrender and let God work, man. I find when I just, just let God go, man, I, this things come out great. When I start thinking about it, I'm like, yeah, we're going off course. Get back on track. Even like right now. <laughs> our enemy is relentless and merciless as he diligently works to disrupt our lives and derail our relationship with our Father. None of us choose this battle, but because we're human, we're in it. And we fight it every day, whether we want to or not. What we have to decide is, when it comes to this war, are we fighting it on our own? Or are we fighting with Jesus leading us into battle as we pray to our Father above? You see, when we do it God's way, the victory will be ours. My prayer for us is that we go as we wake up in the morning and we go into battle, that we can claim the Lord is my banner, Jehovah Nisi, that I may stand for him. And see, in the end, our lives are going to show if he really was. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to bring your word. And uh, Lord, I know that there's a fight dealing with every one of us is fighting it on different levels, different things, some physical, some spiritual, some emotional. But Lord, we're all in the same fight. And Lord, I pray, God, that you help us, Lord, to be fully surrendered to your perfect will. Lord, do a work in us. God, your love is so beyond what we can even comprehend. I think back to when, you, when I received you as my Savior, Lord, I did not understand so much of who you were. And God, thank you for the fact that your word allows me to see more and more every day. But Lord, as we sit here today, God, there are some sitting in this room that say, you know what? I know God and I love him, but I want to love him more. I want to surrender my life to him. I want him to use me for his glory. I don't want to be inert. I want to be actively an enemy to, this, to, the, to, the, to the rule of this world. And Lord, I pray that you help us to become standing, to stand strong against him. As Lord, he wants to bring destruction. We see him fighting in our world even now. But greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. With their heads bowed, with their eyes closed. If you're here today and you say, you know, Pastor, I've struggled with the flesh. I'm battling with it even now. I'm struggling right now. But you know what I need? I need to surrender. And I'm ready to do it. 
I know it's going to be a daily fight, but I want to surrender my will to his. I want God to use this life that he's given me. I don't know how many years I have, but I want them to be used for him. If that's you, raise your hand in recognition to God and say, you know what? God, use me. Praise God. Raise those hands, man. Praise those hands. You say, God wants to use me. I want to surrender my life for his use. Praise God. And if you're here today and you say, you know, I don't have that relationship with God. Hey, you know what? 18 years ago, I didn't either. I didn't know anything about anything. If you're online, if you're in the overflow room, wherever you are, you have an opportunity to do exactly what I did. I didn't have a Bible background. I didn't know anything about God, but I knew I had a void in my life, and I knew that when I heard the truth of who Jesus was, he was the answer. And you want to surrender to him right now. You have an opportunity. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. It's not the words of the prayer that will do anything for you. It has nothing to do with the words. It's your heart. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made into salvation. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. And like I said, it's not the words, it's your heart. If you truly want to receive Christ as your Savior, you realize that without Him, you're lost and undone. You can receive Him right now. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. I'm going to pray out loud. You can pray in your heart, in your mind, or online, wherever you are. It does not matter. It's not an opportunity for us to hear you. It's an opportunity for God to hear you. With their heads bowed and eyes closed, repeat after me. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm sorry. I'm sorry for all that I've done wrong and the pain that I've brought you through my life. I'm asking you right now to forgive me of my sin. I'm asking you to take my sin upon you. I'm asking you to bear my debt on the cross. Lord, I trust that you are who you say you are, that you died, that you were buried, and you were resurrected on the third day. And now you sit in heaven, willing to receive me. I'm asking you right now, by faith, to come into my heart, to save my soul, and give me a home in heaven. Thank you for saving me. I'll see you in heaven one day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.